What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Eric, welcome to the Black Forum, man. How you doing? Jerome, I appreciate it, man. I'm doing well. Man, um... It's good to have you on here, man. It's good to talk. Likewise, man. Yeah, man. I've been really uh people one been asking if um if I was gonna have you on here. This was like a couple uh you know Steve Minnick. Yeah. Yeah, Steve had asked me what I was gonna That's have you on. Like, yeah, well. this was on his <laughs> Yeah, because he had told me y'all had worked the campaign or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um a while back. Yeah. Um and he he thought you would be interesting to have on here. And this was on his birthday, so this was maybe 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 a little like a month ago. Yeah. Uh, but then like just from your Facebook posts and stuff like over the last year and stuff, I was like, man, I gotta get Eric on here, man, to talk about what's what's going on and uh, get him to talk about it even deep on deep dish conversations, man. So thank you for being available no, to do thank this. You, thank you for the invite, man. I appreciate it. Uh, man, um, let's just start off a little introductory stuff, man. Just yeah. for, for people who may not who know who you are um, and your ties here to North Nashville. Yeah. Um, and just Nashville in general. Yeah, man. So um, I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, lived in Murfreesboro for my high school years. Went to college for a second outside the uh, city um, and then came back around 2004. Uh, so I guess my background is uh, my parents came. My father's from Cleveland, Ohio. My mother's from Lebanon, Tennessee. Uh, they met at the uh, American Baptist College, the Holy Hill. Um, I was actually born on the Holy Hill um, mm. at first. And so Really, my connection to the North Nashville was my church at the time, which is Jefferson Street Missionary Baptist Church, Reverend James Tex Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, and North Nashville was just always a different vibe for me, at least, uh, just to see so many black folks everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in uh, Woodbine. Uh, and Woodbine is way different now, now than it was then. Right. Uh, but Woodbine was very diverse area. Uh, so you had black, white, uh, folks from Africa, uh, uh, Laotians, um, the immigrant population in general. So it's just very diverse. Right. Um, and then the only problem is when I went to school, majority white, um, you felt like maybe the only black person in the class. Mm-hmm. And then I got to middle school at Wright, and Wright was a whole different beast at that time. Um, and then it was just always about North Nashville just made me feel very proud to be black, to see black business owners, mm-hmm. see black activists, college students. It felt like a different world. Right. Um, literally, the TV show, A Different World for me. So <laughs> it was right. like you could be in whatever facet of blackness it is, but it's still black and we love it. Right. Um, so my background from that is I actually, for a little while, went down the same road as my parents. Um, so I was in ministry for about 15 years, which was kind of weird for me. Uh, where it really hit was actually September uh, 9-11 uh, was wow. really where it actually hit um, when, no, when New York got hit like that. Those towers fell. It became a theological question for me. Um, people were saying things like, uh, this is only happening because God is punishing New York for, uh, <laughs> for, for the faith of Islam and for those who are uh, same gender loving. And that never really made sense to me in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then around that same time, I started feeling the call, right. which is really different when you're like 18 years old. Um, I barely know that I'm a man. I barely am really interested in a lot of things and I'm, I'm going into this adulthood, and at the same time that I'm trying to figure out adulthood, now I get hit with, oh, you're about to be a preacher. And preachers have to think this way. Preachers have to be this. Preachers have to be in this box. And I never fit in that box. And so mm-hmm. I always felt really uncomfortable uh, in the faith world. But at the same time, I knew that there was some type of connection, so I got really quiet. I was really insecure, which also helped me to be a good listener. Right. And so uh, because of that, I became uh, a lot of people became very comfortable with me. And so people started telling me stories about themselves where they knew I was going to be a locked bolt. Right. So I would hear people that had coming out stories, but they never told nobody. They told me or people that would tell me about, you know, certain instances of uh, violence that happened in their life. I was the first person they told. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it gave me a very different perspective about what listening looks like. Right. Um, and that transferred over. Uh, and helped me to be more okay with faith because of my pastor, Reverend Tex Thomas. Right. And uh, because of him being himself in his, in his fashion way, helped me to be better about my identity and what that meant within faith. Um, but at the same time with faith, which bothered me was I see a church on every corner, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing dilapidated buildings. I'm seeing condemned buildings. I'm seeing 
um, drug-infested neighborhoods, homelessness, uh, homelessness mm-hmm. uh, forms of violence that was happening. But, you know, you're telling me to go to church, believe in the power of Jesus, while at the same time seeing the contradiction of the death and uh, the harm that's going on in my community. Right. So that led me into community organizing. Yep. Um, and so I became a community organizer through a uh, group called Center for Community Change out of D.C., uh, which is where I had my connection with uh, Generation Change, which uh, really trained us uh, young folks at that time uh, to be community uh, uh, organizers. And so I worked with two different groups, Gamelia Foundation and then also IAF. Right. Um, and from there, I was a part of a group called TNT, Tying Nashville Together, which was the predecessor of NOAA. Right. Um, and that work took me into... Um, I can go different ways with this, but it took me in, within college to... Uh, really think about activism more, and a situation happened in Gina, Louisiana uh, that really bothered me. Uh, it just wasn't the way I thought community organizing would be. And I said, you know what, screw this, I'm leaving this, I'm going to go to grad school. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to become a professor, get right. a PhD. Um, and so I went down the Vanderbilt route, but justice would not let me go. Mm. Um, and so from there, I ended up uh, <clears throat> taking a job. Once I graduated, I realized that a PhD route was not the way to go for me. The market was bad. Um, and at the same time, I still had more execution to do instead of more uh, theological, I mean, uh, theoretical writing. Right. And so I met uh, my, who I consider my second mom, but is also my uh, biggest mentor in community organizing, Dr. Janet Wolf. Hmm. Uh, and she told me about that she just got hired on to Children's Defense Fund. Now, she was my teacher at ABC. Right. Uh, but she ends up being my boss for Children's Defense Fund. And so now I start thinking about the creative prison pipeline. I start thinking right. about how faith and theology works well with the prison pipeline system. What does that actually mean to be uh, followers of God or followers of Jesus or followers of whatever that means? But at the same time, how do we make sure that justice is felt and done? Right. Uh, but there was something still missing in community organizing for me, and that was how do we still change policy? Um, and so that took me to the world of politics. Right. And so I ended up going down that route. At the same time, I thought I was going to be a pastor of uh, the church that I told you about. Um, That actually did not happen. I lost my purpose. I did not know what I was going to do. And a good friend, Alfred DeGraffenried, told me about a a campaign that was happening for somebody running for U.S. Senate. Uh, Got on that campaign, became statewide political director, and then politics started becoming my world. And then politics kind of transitioned into uh, climate change and environmental uh, rights and environmental racism. And then uh, that took me to Memphis, and then um, I just knew that I needed to come back to Nashville, come back to North Nashville, um, and got uh, involved in the mayor's office. Uh, and the whole time for me being in the mayor's office was how do I make sure to make North Nashville uh, have a better quality of life? Right. And that was my overall piece, and that's kind of where I'm at. It's a hodgepodge of different experiences that yeah. got me to this experience now. Yeah, no, that's that's one i'm pretty sure everybody didn't know that all those <laughs> things but 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 two you bring up you know you bring up a uh i think a lot of courageousness is that happened in your journey like to to go into something thinking like hey this is for me and say ah no nah, this is not for me um or even inten- unintentional or intentional influences to go a certain path right i think many of us face some of us you know get trapped in that get boxed in like ah my parents or my family yeah. has done this so like, ah, I got to go this. Even though I don't really want to do it, I, I, I have to because I don't want to let them down. Yeah. It seemed like you was able to just kind of break through all of that and figure out, you know, learn more about yourself, do the reflecting, and just be true to who you are in all of those spaces. And when I have to ask you, man, because, uh, like, as black men yeah. uh, that kind of do the work or have went the, the paths we have went, and similarly, you know, we tend to be the only ones, mm. right? Or, or one of many, many mm. few, right? Mm. How has it been navigating all of those spaces being black and being a black man? And what was some of the things you think you may have benefited from or some of the things like, hey, like it was a struggle to deal with? That's a great question, Jerome. I think um, it was probably grad school that got me to the point to say that blackness can be anything where black people are at. Mm -hmm. I think before that, I thought that there was always limits to what can be black and what could not be black. Uh, So in uh, elementary school, I kind of felt from the white kids that I was too black, but you know, and everybody says this experience. And from the black folks, I felt like I was not black enough. Not black enough. Um, and so I kind of went down that road. I, I love sports. I, I was a, I was a musician. Uh, I was trying to produce music. I was doing choreography, hip hop, dance. Um, 
I did a lot of that stuff, even though I still love it to this day, because I was trying to prove my blackness. Mm. I didn't think that, you know, I didn't. I, I had both parents. Right. Uh, I didn't come from the projects. Right. Um, I don't have these rough and tough stories at that time, at least. And which shouldn't be synonymous to blackness, like yes. poverty, yes. growing up in the hood. Uh, having only one parent yeah. shouldn't be synonymous of blackness. I just had yeah. to put out put that out there. I was going to push even further with that anyway to say yeah. that. And so, yeah, I'm glad you said it. I was going to go that route and say that. Right. That, but even my vernacular of how I speak, um, you don't sound black. What they say, right? <laughs> um, I think that's not big of a deal now, but right. then it was. Um, yeah, yeah. And, it, and so that forced me to think that I had to speak a certain way. So I would listen to a lot of East Coast rap, right. and uh, I started doing my dialect uh, the way that I would hear a Jay Z or a Cameron or uh, a lot of those rappers to do, just to say that you know, Co- hey, code switching and like reverse. <laughs> correct, and then that also goes to a further piece, which was I was afraid to be Southern. Mm. Um, especially when I hear the word somebody say y'all country, y'all, I'm gonna say the word, the word y'all country niggas. Right. Uh, this is how it is, and it was like, no, I'm not country. I, right. I'm from a I'm from an urban area, right. uh, city country. <laughs> I'm, I'm southern, <laughs> um, right. and so right. so yeah, the blackness of southern and all that. But I think where when I went to uh, grad school, it helped me out is because I had a professor named Dr. Victor Anderson, and uh, he wrote a book called Beyond Ontological Blackness. And his point is is that there's not necessarily this essence of blackness that means that there's this limitation of blackness. And for a lot of people, they thought blackness could only be, uh, a successful blackness could only be like, you know, the Cosby show, right? right? Um, but there were other people that were like, no, there was a success in my blackness, but it may not have looked like that Cosby Road. Right. And so studying that, started studying the comedy of Dave Chappelle while also in grad school right. um, and reading a lot of philosophy really pushed me to the point of if black people are there that understand their experience of struggle, mm-hmm. but yet want to keep pushing and prevailing, that's what blackness is. So that's why you can see like a Tiger Woods, even though, you know, I want I want the brother to acknowledge that he is black, right. um, uh, that he He's in golf. We love that. To see Venus and Serena Williams in tennis, they're black. Um, And and you're seeing black folks start pushing beyond boundaries and starting to do all these things we didn't think black people could do. Right. Only eat fried chicken, hot sauce, and all these different things. And the reality is, that's black too. Right. But this is also black because my experience allows it to be black. Right. Anything I think black people put themselves in, our our vibe's going to be there. And and blackness is not a monolith, right? We have different black experiences. And I want to push it this far. Because this is where I think many of us run into a, a wall of figure out how to struggle with. Getting into politics, <laughs> right? Um, it's already kind of adversary, black blackness in politics, mm. in politicians in general, right? Mm. It's already contentious relationship there. Um, and so I think when most of us see black people in politics, we already like, hmm. You know, how black are they or are they conforming? You know, what are they giving up to be in these spaces? Because we know like, hey, in these spaces, they tend to to even if you don't want to make you conform to be something that you're not. Yeah. Right. So how have you been able to remain yourself uh, in that politic arena um, or did you struggle at first trying to make sure like, hey, I'm remaining arrogant, I'm not capitulating or uh, perpetuating black harm in this political yeah. arena. I never struggled with who I was and why I came there. My, my, my number one definition for why I got into politics was always going to be North Nashville, period. For the black people and the black success and the black history of North Nashville, was the main reason I was in North Nashville, I mean, that I was in the mayor's office that never changed for me. However, what did change was uh, that anger that I had and that, that, that righteous anger for justice that pushed me to politics was questioned by folks that at first uh, clapped their hands and congratulated me for being in the office to say that there would be change, now kind of say, you know what, you're not on our side no more, mm. um, which was interesting to me mm. that Nashville has this model for some reason that if you're not doing the same mode of work that I'm doing, that means that you are a traitor to the race instead of other models like maybe, say, a Chicago where the community organizer is going to talk to the person that's in the office. It's also going to talk to the janitor. It's going to talk to the secretary because we know if we have all that intel and that information, it helps us to have a better case for why we can get change done right. uh, within uh, government. And so for me, um, that started bothering me that people that were my friends and I want to talk to them and say, hey, 
Um, tell me what I need to know so I can push it on the inside. Right. And what I started realizing is now they're afraid to talk to me. What's that about? You know, right. and I think it's because they thought that I had a loyalty uh, uh, to the to to the way of politics and not a loyalty of why I came into politics for the first place. Right. And then you also have to mesh that with uh, being in a work environment where sometimes your blackness is only tokenization. They want you to stand on a pedestal. They want you to be on a nice chair right. and say, hey. Um, Did you feel that working in the mayor's office? We'll come back to that. Let me finish okay. this, this thought real quick. Where they put you on a pedestal and they'll make you think that, hey, you should be happy that you're here. Right. But not necessarily put you into the strategy or the work or understand your skills of that work. So now you kind of feel very weak mm-hmm. on that end. And then pushing to the other side where you see the people that are really making power moves and are listened to. Um, and, and at the same time, you struggle with that because it's like, I kind of came in this office to fight that. Right. But I'm also seeing that this office likes that. Right. So how do I deal with all these different complexities that's going on and still be a Southern black man mm-hmm. and feel that I'm being real to myself, being real to the cause and understanding the pressure that comes from that. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to your question. Did I feel like that? I think that I had good supervisors that tried to help me not feel that, but it just wasn't successful enough. So I had a great uh, supervisor in uh, Courtney Pogue, our Economic Community Development Director, 25 years of experience of economic development. First thing he told me is that all the, all the economic development, uh, only 3% of black folks are, are in this industry. Only 3% of Latino and Latino folks are in this industry. Um, and so we're already a minority. Super in minority. That super minority. Right. So they're already up in the game. And so he always wanted to make sure that I understood principles, that I understood how these things happen. So I felt protected with him. Now, I'm also saying that with a office that was only two of us, he had maybe a $150,000 budget right. um, compared to when he came from Dallas, had a $9 million budget, $100 million economic development funds, 36 employees that was under him. Mm. Um, and he was able to do his work. But how are you able to do your work when the reality is you might have only got hired because of the color of your skin to appease a certain group of people. Right. While at the same time, the real work is being done in other closed doors and not also involving you. I had a good uh, director, uh, Fada Massimo, who's a white woman, but she served in two minor- uh, majority black towns right. of Birmingham, Alabama and Atlanta, Georgia. And so she had a different perspective. She made sure to always want to be inclusive, think about equity. Uh, but again, where's the budget to be able to do the work? Right. And so what you feel like sometimes being in, in politics is with a limited amount of resources uh, that they will give to you to do the big work where they don't give you enough people or resources to make that work happen. Right. At the same time of people uh, wondering why things are not getting done fast and being mad at you and maybe seeing you as the enemy, the reality is... Was I really just hired here to do a job, or was I really hired here to look a certain way for somebody else? Well, because you know that's, that's as black folks, that's what we're going to do, right? We're going to say, okay, Eric is now in the mayor's office. Mm. We're going to clap, and now we're really expecting mm. things to get done. Are we talking about economic development, too, in mm. North Nashville, in the bottle area? Oh, okay, cool. All right, so if the mayor says this is going to happen, we already know who we're looking to, like, okay, you know, it, it didn't happen. So, Eric, what's going on? Mm-hmm. All right, okay. He says, all right, okay. It's just one thing. All right, the mayor says, okay, we're we going we, we gonna to do this and play this and get the community involved. It don't happen. Eric, you know, what's mm-hmm. going on? Are you gonna, can, you, can, you, can you talk to the mayor for us? What, can, you, can you give us that feedback? Why, why, why is that not? Because cause you're our connection, right, mm-hmm. that we feel like mm-hmm. we, can, we, we have a way in or at least an ear in, even if we're not on any type of official community organization or sitting on any committees like Eric is our way in and so how did you navigate that and respond to those things even being being that staff but also that community member yeah how did you how did you how did you mitigate those two kind of like unique but also different kind of positions I mean, we come from a, we come from a people that made a dollar out of fifteen cent. We, right. we always found ways to get things done. And I think that's right. the same type of mentality that I had to bring to the office. And we had a lot of great workers, and still have a lot of great workers who are inside the office that 
have to always find creative ways and avenues to get things done. And the reality is, is that you're not going to get 100% of it done. Right. Um, but I'm very happy if I get 85% of it done. Mm-hmm. Um, so to talk about $20 million uh, from ARP dollars, uh, American uh, Rescue Plan dollars, uh, to be able to be used for small business development in Nashville and underserved communities, and 2.5 is automatically in North Nashville, is a win. Now, it's not the biggest win because we know we have a $2 billion budget when it comes to the city of Nashville, right. but it's $2 million, it's $2.5 million more that we can use to a lot of black businesses that did not get PPP funding uh, during, the, during COVID, right? Uh, right? Uh, so I'm happy about those wins. Participatory budgeting, $2 million. Now, um, it's controversial to talk about participatory budgeting because I think um, in other areas it's done differently, uh, right? Um, and it can also look like you're only using that participatory money um, for things that should have been fixed in the first place, right? right? Um, especially when other things are being discussed and talked about. Uh, but I think what is very important within that is that I think this idea of participatory budgeting had been talked about for years by people that were going into the office, and this was their push. Did it go the way that we wanted it to go 100%? No. Right. Um, things change. Uh, but at least what I'll say is is that I was still happy to be a part of the $2 million, and that it was a pilot project, and it's, but it's still going, right? Right. So I think for me is is that – I can't always run the ball for 100 yards. Right. But if I can get a first down, I'm going to get the first down so that I can get set up for the next 10 yards. Right. Working in the mayor's office, and just so, just for like clarification, so people who may not know, yeah. know that, you know, use a North National Economic and Community Development Manager. Yeah. So people, so people know, have that at the top of their mind. Um, you're no longer in that, in that role. Yeah, I resigned. You yeah. resigned from that role. Um, when did it be, when did you start to think and see like okay maybe I need to start thinking about other uh, alternatives to do yeah. this work outside of the mayor's office? Yeah, um, I was thinking about that probably the summer of last no, probably around the end of last year. Okay. Uh, and there's a reason why. There's a few reasons. One is is that uh, uh, I'm divorced now. Okay. That divorce happened during COVID. Um, two is that I had two stints in the hospital. Um, where one, my liver shut down on me, uh, had high, found that I had high blood pressure and diabetes. Mm. Um, and all this happened while not catching COVID. And I was not drinking at that time. If I would have, I was actually told if I would have drank during that time, I may not be here. Mm. Um, also, uh, have heart surgery. Uh, had this thing uh, in my heart where my heart would beat rapidly because blood would get trapped in one of the ventricles and just go circular. Um, and so I had to, uh, I had to get heart surgery. Wow. Uh, for this man. And so that pressure, along with the pressure of divorce, along with the stress of always thinking, how can I make North Nashville better? My brain does not turn off. Right. So, you know, some people might say, well, go on vacation. Well, guess what? I'm on vacation thinking about how do I make North Nashville better? Right. When it's just one of me, maybe two of us, but one of me right. uh, in that office. And so it got to a point of saying, if I'm not getting the resources or my or, or the office is not getting the resources it needs, um, if real economic development work is not actually happening in our office, but it's happening somewhere else, uh, if I know that every time uh, we keep saying that um, workers work workforce development, small business development, um, how do we talk about procurement? Mm-hmm. Um, all these different ways to really talk about how do black folks get jobs? How do black folks be uh, have ways to make their community thrive? Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, we see a project like a um, like a interstate cap get thrown right. instead yeah. of actually saying what are the issues first before right. the cap instead of putting the cap to say that's going to solve the issues when it might actually create more issues. Um, you get to a point of saying, you know what? I have to start thinking about my own health. Right. And I think the lo- the reason I stayed the longest in that office is because I was so afraid to lose health care, mm. which is the real truth, is that I was afraid to lose health care because I didn't know that if I quit that job and if I don't have a job, um, am I going to be able to take care of all these ailments that I just discussed and talked about? And then it finally just got to a head that I can't wait no more. Mm. So I got to resign. Um, I was looking for jobs, still looking for jobs, but the, but it's also brought me to a point of, if I care about North Nashville, if I care about my health, and if I need to heal, 
I need to heal in places that allow me to heal. And the reality was mayor's office was not a place for me to heal. I'm going to just assume and let me know if I'm incorrect that some of these issues that you have brought up around economics, really supporting and diving deep into North Nashville, have the proper community dialogue, transparency, um, that you broached this with Mayor Cooper. Um, I'm going to assume so. Um, and if you did, what was those conversations like? Did you feel like your voice was heard um, wholly, partially? What was those What was those conversations like possibly in the mayor's office? I think the mayor can speak for itself, so I don't want to yeah. uh, bring anything on light of that. What I will say uh, within the conversation is that when you are doing your job and you're consistently working and you keep bumping your head and bumping your head, bumping your head, I was told that insanity uh, mm. is really doing something the same way, expecting a different result. Right. Uh, you just have to realize that I have to find a different way to create this to happen. And so right. for me, I just realized it has to be done outside of this particular administration. Right. So I had to leave. Do you believe that, um, that the work that needs to be done and can be done uh, in North Nashville, do you believe that at some point it can happen within the mayor's office um, effectively and efficiently? I think that we have to talk about a complexity of things. Okay. One is that we have redistricting that happened in the state of Tennessee. Why that's important is for a few reasons. One is that those redistricting lines happen where black and brown communities were at. It was to splinter those votes mm -hmm. uh, when we talk about it. This, we see that Nashville has been split into three different areas, mm -hmm. uh, which makes it more conservative. Um, so the first thing that I will say is that with our Congress District 5 now being splintered into 5, 6, and 7, it could be a possibility that all of those districts become Republican in Nashville, which now means that where do the resources of federal dollars actually hit when it comes to our city of Nashville. Are those federal dollars actually going to come into our area? Right. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we have a state that is dominated by Republican um, uh, uh, politicians um, that are also very anti-Nashville. And, and I think their reasoning behind that will be that the rural areas or areas outside of Nashville and also Memphis Shelby County area do not doesn't get the same love uh, as the, as a Nashville or a Memphis would get because we're urban areas, right. not realizing that Nashville is the economic driver of the whole state, right. right? And so now you have to deal with state law that a lot of times has preempted us, and you know this from your work already, preempts right. us from a lot of things that we do on a city level. Yep. Now let's talk about the local level, which is can a mayor, can a council do what it needs to do when, one, we have the third largest council in the nation, um, with only two people as their support staff. I make that because in Memphis, where they have way a, a lesser number of, of, of council members than we have here in Nashville, each council member has two staffers right. with them, right? So what does that mean as far as reading certain policies and right. getting that done on top of maybe many of them having jobs, right? Uh, we, this, though this is a strong mayor um, uh, government, um, what, what does that mean when a, when, a, when a mayor might try to implement certain policies and it gets preempted by the state or council does this against implemented by the state? I say that because I think it's way deeper than just saying the city. It's that we have to look at the state and federal and how all this combines right. to really affect a lot of black lives and brown lives as well. Right. And so that's the way I probably answer that question. Yeah, yeah. No, and, it make, and, and it makes sense. Um, and, and I don't think a lot of people, unless you've done this work, know about the preemption either if the council or the mayor wants to yeah. do something but they say it's nope you know it's not gonna it's not gonna happen and so and that's you know that's that's out of his or her hands but to go deeper to on your question can things get done in the mayor's office i think we're going to have to stop looking at things as one piece and look at the whole picture okay and i think a lot of times and a great example would be georgia right now georgia worked at least 10 to 15 years mm -hmm. To even put themselves in a situation to now have two Republic, I mean two Democratic senators, right. and now they might actually have the opportunity with a Stacey Abrams running again for governor for right. her to actually be governor. Now you're turning a state blue. Right. Nashville, uh, the state of Tennessee, that might be 20 years from now. Right. So again, there are some possibilities that can happen in Nashville, 
but we're going to have to start looking at maybe also the state of Tennessee. Right. Um, and, and, we, and we're going to have to look at the larger state of, of our nation as well right. and combine that to if power happens on the local level, that kind of sounds like a lie now when the reality is is that the state is actually telling local what to do. Right. So yeah. I want to have hope, but at right. the same time, I want us to be realistic. So it's a, this in in I know that I because I, I know I would I would have struggled with it mm. <laughs> personally, mm. and that's why you know, um, in a lot of ways I think it is um, beneficial in many ways for people, black folks mm. in general, uh, specifically that do this work. Um, it's it's great to be attached to organizations because of capacity resources. But having and probably needing to build your own thing mm. simultaneously, uh, I would advocate for that too. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because um, this double consciousness thing that mm -hmm. you know that we have to have. Mm. And this is a and, and I want to I want to pose this as a question to you. Um, we understand policing in the city. We understand the policing in this nation. We understand how we're targeted as black people, as the black community, and people of color are just targeting disparities when it comes to policing. Um, how difficult is it for a person like yourself that was working in the mayor's office when you have a mayor that is advocating for licensed places readers and more police funding? Is that something that you say, okay, well, Hey, because he's representing the mayor's office, which includes you. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, have you? Did you figure out a way to separate kind of your thought, your ideology, or how you feel about those particular things, or was that something that was frowned upon? Um, was that a struggle for you at times um, in that position? <laughs> um, I, I, I never struggle with, with with my blackness and what it means to have uh, to deal with what police brutality looks like. As a person that's been beat up by cops, that's been hit by batons, right. that's had their car searched on numerous times, that's been put on the ground, that literally had a cop uh, put their, uh, their their pistol on my back and say, if you move, I'm going to shoot the shit out of you. Mm. Um, I don't forget those experiences, and I right. take them experiences with me all the time into the into the mayor's office regardless. Uh, my, my answer to this question is I'm going to always think the way that I think. Right. Uh, I'm going to always play my role. My role that I think that I did is that I wanted to make sure the community's voice was heard. In, okay. my, in my district of District 21 of North Nashville, the, 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 the voice that spoke the most in that community said that they wanted more cops. They okay. wanted LPRs, okay. which is really uh, interesting, right, uh, at this time. Uh, and I think the, what I'm trying to harp on is that where I have to go in my community is I want to know what their voices are saying. It's not to say that there's a different voice in that community that's saying we don't want cops. Right. It's that I'm in a community that the louder voices are saying that they do want cops and they are loud. Right. And they're not actually saying that they want cops, if we're going to be honest. Right. What they're saying is I want to go home and be safe. They want safety, yeah. They're not actually really saying that they want more cops. What they are saying is there's a harm that's happened to me not only with police brutality, there's also a harm in my community where we're not actually talking about what safety is. And because we're not dealing with the other struggles in our, in our, in our city of uh, food access in North Nashville right. or uh, there, are, there are drug addictions in our area, incarcerated or people that have left that were incarcerated right. that yeah. are having struggles of getting jobs. Mental because health. Do mental health. Because mm -hmm. those issues are not taken care of. Now there's a safety issue. That right. somebody might bust into my house, might try to rob my stuff because we haven't dealt with those issues. Right. To where now, not only am I facing police brutality, I'm also facing harm within the community. Right. Now, how do we deal with that? And that's a conversation that's never really always discussed all the time. Right. Um, so, again, safety is the number one thing. And we haven't found a great answer yet in Nashville to say what it is. We know that there's organizations, NOAA right. has said what that looks like for them. Uh, 
in the mayor's office, I think we talked about mental health and what that means to have a mental health advocate paired up with a with a with a police policeman, officer, yeah. police officer to get that done. Uh, I would love to see the data and the results to that. For me, as a person that lives in North Nashville that loves my area, doesn't really want to leave, and right. I don't plan on leaving. I'm a homeowner in my area. Uh, I know what gunshots sound like on a regular right. basis, but right. I also understand being pulled over in your own. Uh, area of town because somebody says that they were doing a, a, a check because right. a, tra- a tail light's out. Right. For me, at the end of the day, is I want my community to be safe. Right. Um, and so I'm always going to be with what my community says. Right. Uh, in that point, they said that they wanted LPRs. They wanted more police. Um, I have my thoughts on what the safety looked like while we're saying all these different things. But the right. reality is that that's what they want. That's what I'm for. Okay. Yeah, and that, and that, and I think that's been proven like nationwide too that more people actually want more police, and I think it's because they don't we, I don't think people know what else what safety looks like without police, you know, fully. That's and great I, question, I, great I, answer. I think that's I think that's more of why they're saying yeah we want police because that's the only thing that has really been given to us when it comes to safety, and that's why we're starting to see I think police just in every fraction of our life <laughs> when it comes to public safety because. We just don't know any. Yeah, many community members just don't know of other alternatives, and then those other alternatives they have to go through pilot programs, and we have mm-hmm. to see the data, which takes you know a good two years to get significant mm-hmm. data, right? And so, um, but we'll see though. And well, let's talk about something else on on the on the cop side, uh, which is we know through data that if a police officer has a college education a lot of the uh, infractions that happen upon them are actually less. Mm. So why are we not talking about education within the police force? Mm. Uh, I, I'm also, I also have to be honest with myself that my favorite uncle uh, is a retired cop. Uh, many of his friends were, were friends of mine that protected me and loved me. Right. That was cop. Even my, my, uh, my former wife, her, uh, her family was full of cops. They were military people as well. In their minds, they think of security and safety. Now, for them, that means this this over force of cease and desist. I get it, right? Right. But for me, um, I love them. I respect them. Right. And so for me is, is that if I don't want harm to them and I don't want harm to my community, how do we start talking about those different issues that we just brought up? Because we also ain't talked about mental health of the police as well. Right. How do we start thinking about education. Mm -hmm. How do we start thinking about these policies that are put in place to do things? Because when I look at least overseas, many of the problems that we have in America are not necessarily the same problems over there either. But we're not necessarily looking into those techniques that are being used over there and bringing them here either. Yeah. And they have different social constructs. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, yeah. And as a person, you know, I was able to live in Costa Rica, live in China, Mm. live in Paraguay. And just socially, they they don't, you know, you put it like this. Racism is, you know, is is outside of maybe like South Africa, like that black and white stuff is just it hits different here, right? Yeah, it's entrenched. Very much so. It's just entrenched yeah. in in the mud here, literally, yes, right? Yes. And so, you know, they're not that like I'm not to say that it's not colorism and things like that. It just it's levels, right? And you know, their policing is different, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not even their police don't even have, don't guns, have guns, don't have yes. weapons, right? Yeah. And so and with that, like their citizens don't have the right to bear arms either. So, you know, it's it's a lot of things that go into that. Um You said something that really just that just popped in my head. With all this too is also land acknowledgement. Right. Which is a big piece. I just came back from uh, Selma, uh not from uh, Montgomery, Alabama, where we where we looked at uh, Brian Stevenson's uh, legacy museum and the lynching sites, man, and to know what used to be in a lot of these places. And then I just left uh, Phyllis Hildreth. Uh, we went on a walk and was talking, and she showed me uh, what's now the art center that used to be the pool in Centennial oh, Park, oh, yeah, the, uh, and the history behind yeah the pool that, that pool. you know we couldn't we wouldn't allow to swim in correct, <laughs> and yeah. also how a history is painted to tell a certain story mm-hmm. that excludes a lot of things that have to do with black bodies and brown bodies, mm-hmm. uh, and even our uh, the, our Native American bodies, right? Uh, to the point that we have rewritten history and we've remodeled a certain part of land to mm-hmm. look a certain way that still only entertains and also benefits a certain group of people right. on the blood where you kind of got into right. the mud that's yeah, it's seeped in the, it's, into it's, the ground yeah. of things that's happening, man. It's just, it's crazy right now. So to even get back to policing, safety, crime, 
we still have to go back in history to talk about it. For us in North Nashville, and you know this already, an right. interstate system right. went through that. It actually splintered the community, man. And so there's a lot and, that we have to deal with that we're not dealing with. And so I want to talk about I want to I want to talk about two things, and I want to keep the interstate yeah. the second thing. Yeah. But the first thing I want to talk about is um, I want to ask you. Because being in the mayor's office, you had to, you know, you're you're around a lot of uh, smart people, um, thought provoking, creative people. So, man, I'm interested. You know, you you started there in 2019. 2019. 2019. Yeah. Um, what did you take away? You know, because um, I know it can be easy for a lot of people to say, "Oh, you know, Eric is left to focus on like mm. like why you left, right?" But I also want to make sure we cover like, hey, yeah. what did you what did you learn from the mayor's yeah. office? Um, what did you learn about Nashville? How did you learn to, you know, about some some other ways and methods and strategies to make sure that, you know, um, you're being the best person yeah. uh, to serve Nashville and specifically North Nashville in, in various ways? I learned in that office a lot of great things, man. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely uh, very happy and excited and honored that I got to work for the city of Nashville. Uh, one of the first lessons that came to me is that North Nashville is too strong and resilient. To see that tornado come through our area um, and to Coupled watch... with a pandemic. Couple, well, uh, well pending that was on the way Wait, six, days, six later, days later. Yeah. Right? Um, to see that strength of people, electricity being knocked out and houses being demolished and seeing people come together and really help out. Uh, not, no refrigeration because there's no electricity that happens for days. Right. North Nashville is resilient. That was the first thing. Two was I understood my own skills and power. I was still a novice in understanding the political system, the local government system of what departments that I go. Um, but one thing with black folks is that when we're usually okay when it comes to harm happening because probably because of trauma. Right. <laughs> but yeah. but, but it's, it's trained us in a manner that when bad things happen, we are already prepared to know how to deal with it. So it's not this big shock to us all the time right. of when these things happen. It's more of we have to do something about it now because it's just the way that we've always operated. So I understood the government system based on that tornado happening. I got to meet people. Right. Relationships is a number one key uh, that, that happens with that. The second thing that I learned very quickly is that it's not Eric Brown from the mayor's office. Um, it's Eric Brown and stay with Eric Brown. Mm. I thought in a lot of ways that I've always had to connect myself to different organizations to be seen as valuable and important when the reality was the value was always within me. Right. Um, and so um, it's great to have a mayor's office. It's different if you don't do nothing with it. Mm. So to have resources, uh, the little resources that was there, to have those resources, you better do something with them. Right. Um, nobody's holding your hand into using these resources to help out your community. You better you better find a way to use that. Right. I, I found out within myself how valuable I was. I also found out very quickly that uh, I love being black wherever I'm at. Mm -hmm. um, and so in that mayor's office, I never, um, even though I had to struggle, I never felt I had to turn off my blackness. Mm. Um I realized that it was a superpower within that office mm. because there's things they don't know about the experience of what I go through. They don't know certain people to talk to. Right. I also learned very quickly that I had way more context than I thought I did when I was in the mayor's office. There's people that I reached out to um, that I should not know right. <laughs> that are pretty high in the, uh, the, the power game of Nashville. Right. Um, but I knew them and I could connect with them. I could find avenues to get in somebody's um, office and talk to them about things to get their support. When Courtney first got here, it was easy to get Courtney connected into the Nashville system, not only with black folk, right. but with everybody, because I was able to build those relationships. The transportation with the community engagement, I learned very well. Uh, very quickly that we have to listen to the residents. Right. We have to talk to our communities and ask them what we want. And we have to put them in situations where they're able to talk to each other uh, and that a conversation can be heard because it's bad to just have a conversation where we're screaming at each other right. instead of having a conversation to say, you know what? That person is responding that way because of the history that has happened to them in their community. Right. And these are the things that they want to get out of that. And right. so for me, um, those are just a portion of things that came out. But the last part that came out for me is that I knew I was going to be way better when I got out. Mm. Um, uh, and what I mean more by that is I held on for two, for so long because I'm loyal. Uh, somebody uh, hit me up, uh, <laughs> Simone Boyd, and she said, uh, thank you for staying as long as you did in the mayor's office. And the reason she said that is because she said, I know that you was only doing that for North Nashville. And I actually, it actually brought tears to my eyes. Wow. Because I am a loyalist. 
Wow. I, if, if, Jerome, if me and you are somewhere and um, you might have done some wrong, but you my homie and we right. go out and somebody's ready to fight us. I'm gonna get my ass beat with you. Right, we now, ain't I'm losing though. To, no, we ain't gonna <laughs> lose. First off, let's let's make it. We ain't losing. Now, we whooping some ass together. <laughs> we ain't taking no ass whooping. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll say this though: I'm, we gonna have a talk later, right? right? But I'm loyal to you, mm. and that's that's what my loyalty has been. But what I've learned over these past year, year and a half, or two years b- between the divorce, between my health, and between the, the stresses of this job. Sometimes you got to let go because that's where your freedom's at. Right. And that's the number one thing that I think that I'm that I'm holding on to right now is that it's painful to sometimes uh, gain your freedom. Right. Uh, I have my freedom right now. I don't know what I'm going to do next. Wow. Um, uh, that's 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 deep to say, man. To say that you have your freedom and people are gonna say, well, you did, you wasn't free before. I'm going to say, I think that's a great question, but what I'm going to say is is that sometimes we think there's certain things we have to hold on to, mm. to, to, to think that that is freedom. And the reality mm. is, is when you lighten your load, that's where the real freedom's at. And wow. sometimes the lightening of your load might mean a failed marriage. It might mean um, not having the money that you used to have or right. having to lose or, or having to let go of some of that money uh, within your savings account to do what you had or... Um, um, to realize that people that you want to stay in your life can no longer be in your life. Right. You got to let it go, right. and it sucks and it hurts, and you got to deal with your grief. But I tell you, man, it's so much healing and power and understanding that you let go of things to to really earn that freedom. Man, you mentioned something about listening to community, and um, I was reading just some of the stuff that's already out. Yeah. Um, specifically when it comes to the Jefferson Street cap. Yeah. Um, do you feel like uh, the community was listened to during during that process? And I know it's still ongoing. Um, while you was in the mayor's office, um, or do you feel like you know things the, the mayor's office kind of dropped the ball on a lot of things on that? Mayor's office dropped the ball. I will also say that there was people in the mayor's office that were continually given a story and they were left unheard mm. that could have actually helped with this. Um, I think if we want to do an interstate cap project right first, there has to be more resources that's used for community engagement. And it can't be only the people that's in the mayor's office. Right. It actually needs to be people that are really community engagement specialists. And a lot of them to really make sure that we understand. Now, I know that there's been a fight sometimes of we know what the community wants. We've heard it forever. Yes, that's true. <clears throat> but it would be a disservice to us if we don't really go out there to find out. And right. to do that community service sometimes might actually mean, are you feeding people when you go to the community engagement stuff? Sometimes you might actually realize that this is work and people should be compensated for their work. Right. It might mean that they have kids. Are we giving daycare assistance while they're, while they're over here working with us to figure out what this community engagement, are we actually making sure their kids are protected so that's a less stress that they have to think about to do this work? Right. <clears throat> um, that wasn't done. There was no resources to do that. Um, second, you cannot put the cart before the horse. So if you're going to talk about an interstate system, you need, uh, oh, I'm sorry, interstate cap, um, let's deal with the issues first. There were people that were in the office that continually said and gave examples of things that happened in other cities of this what this happened, this was a fight for three three times. This happened in this particular city. It was not accomplished until one. You listened to the leaders of the community that talked to the people in the community, too. You dealt with the issues that needed to be dealt with and actually alleviate those issues first. And then three, then talk about the interstate cap project to where that actually enhances the the, the success of what's already been dealt with. If those things were done, I think we could have had a different story because the interstate cap actually can bring a lot of great things. It can bring jobs. It can help out business owners to get procurement. It could have been a great example for once. If you're talking about the harm of what that interstate system did, we can now talk about, um, let's use the R word, reparations, in the sense of saying, we're going to allow the people in this community to be the ones that build this interstate cap so that they can define what their community looks like on top of the fact it's an investment in their community. And now we're talking about quality of life in that community. Right. I don't think with the system that we have in place right now, it's going to be allowed to do that because um, this has to be a federal, state, and local project that works together hand in hand. Mm, Well, so yeah, it can be successful. Yes, and 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 the community in North Nashville could have been successful. You could have hired 
local hire could have right. been great, but we know that's been uh, preempted. This is a common thing that I'm hearing um, while we had this conversation. It's like money, right? Resources. Uh, just wasn't enough money, enough funds put into uh, the engagement piece to be able to get things done right. Um, is it more so was enough enough money, or just the proper money just wasn't allocated to the in the in the right kind of column on the finance sheet? I think Feta Massimo did the best that she could with what she had, and mm. she is a true mother. In the sense of mothers are going to always find a way to do with what they have right. uh, to get things done. And she tried her best to do that. And I believe that 100 uh, percent. But we brought in somebody like a, a Courtney Pogue that should have also been at the forefront of that project as well. Right. Because he saw this happen. He knows how to do this. And I don't think he was utilized enough. Mm. Um, resources. Um, I think we are in an environment in Nashville where we keep hearing physical conservatism. Um, and for me, that's way different than what I think that actually means for a lot of folks. For a lot of folks, that means let's just hold on to all our money and just do basic necessities. But we still get to define what we're saying is essential right. uh, to that particular person instead of saying what's good, where physical responsibility for me and physical conservatism means that if we're talking about, for me at least, giving out corporate welfare, right. uh, giving out money that helps out these things. And we keep saying it's because it's going to reignite the workforce when the reality is it just past the pockets of a lot of businesses that may not have no connection to us. Or we start talking about these incentives that we give to these businesses to come down here. And the reality is, is that they might pick up and leave uh, because they're not there. That is, for me, where we need to start talking about physical conservative. Right. It does not mean that, for me, when we know that homelessness is rampant, when, again, we have no food access in certain parts of North Nashville or Bordeaux. Um, uh, and, by the way, Bordeaux has, I think, four food places that's supposed to be the access of food. Three of those are gas stations, mm. <laughs> right? And so why don't we talk about those things? So, for me, the real... The real stuff that we need to deal with, with homelessness, food access, housing, uh, attainable housing. We like to say affordable housing, attainable housing. Right. Um, uh, and, there's so, and, and even transportation of what it means to get to and from somewhere. Right. That's where our money should be at. And I don't think um, we have our, um, our priorities in order. A significant number of, of staff have left mm. the mayor's office. I'm pretty sure maybe for all similar reasons or different reasons. Um, if you was me right now mm -hmm. and you seen that happening in the mayor's office, um, what would you think? Mm. Would that be a sign of ah something is something is not going right uh, in the mayor's office or is it a sign of like, hey, people are just moving on, letting go? Um the mayor's office is maybe not have a solid foundation as we thought. Mm. People are not aligned with the same ideology or what's best for Nashville. Um, what would you think about that? Yeah, I'm going to answer it differently because I'm not you. But I'm going to answer yeah, it because yeah. I'm me. Um, I'm going to give you two sides of that. I can't speak for the ones that have left. Right. Uh, they have their own reasons of why they left. I told you my answer of why I left. Right. right? Uh, I will also answer that I had great leadership with the two the two supervisors that I had, mm -hmm. um, which was Fader Massimo, which was Courtney Pogue. They they gave me some of the best knowledge, um, and I and I think that I did not let them down. At least I hope I didn't let them down in the work ethic that I had. I think that they saw that, and I also believe the community saw my work ethic. So I think that also counts within itself. That's what I call great leadership, and I think people always stay with great leadership when one they know there's a vision. Two, that they know that their leader is always going to be there with them. Uh, three is that there are there's going to be some form of showing you how to get things done or reconfiguring to get things done. And those two great people were great examples of what leadership means for me. So I'm going to ask you an even more straight and blunt question. Is our mayor a great leader for the city of Nashville? I think the people got to decide that. I can't. I can't answer that for anybody else. I think the people have to decide that for themselves. And I think I'm asking you, though. Dana, I speak for Eric. Yeah. Eric Brown. Do you? Yeah. Does Eric Brown believe Mayor Cooper is a good leader? Yes or no? Yeah, I'm not going to answer that question. What, okay. I, what I would definitely okay. say, though, is that um, uh, that Nashville deserves the leadership it needs, and I think their voting power should prove the leadership that they deserve and that what they need. For me. Um, again, I'll just go back to the further questions that you asked, which right. is I had to heal. I had to deal with myself. I have to let go. Gotcha. And so for me, I had to leave that office and find different ways to do that.
Speaking of different ways, you know, now you're gone. Um, you have the freedom. Hmm. You let some stuff go. Um, currently not working for hmm. any organization hmm. uh, or any employee right now. Uh, what's next for you? It's a great question, man. Um, I'm going to keep the same thought. I still want to make sure that North Nashville is an international model of what a community should look like with black mm -hmm. leadership. I still mean that. Even with all the things that we're seeing happening in North Nashville, gentrification, displacement, um, uh, businesses moving in mm -hmm. uh, that might essentially uh, wipe out a lot of history in North Nashville, I still... Uh, I guess kind of like the uh, the old Christians and the old mothers still just have faith, <laughs> baby. I still have faith. Yeah. Um, and that's the faith that I'm going to keep for that to happen. And so that means that I want to find ways to make that happen. Uh, the what, other answer, go ahead. You know, I'm going to say uh, kind of just because I know you're passionate, I know you've done the work. Yeah. Just always interested in hearing what are some of those ways yeah. that community right could uh, be a part of in making Nashville and North Nashville more specifically better, healthier, yeah. more equitable, yeah. more economically vibrant? Number one thing is that if you're looking for a house, and I know that we're in a market of where it is a, a seller's market right now, uh -huh. if you have the funds and you are a brother and sister that really cares about the history of North Nashville, I need you to move back. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I want to take the Marcus Garvey approach. Come back yeah. uh, to that area. We're seeing great business people that are uh, putting their business here it, because they love the rich history of North Nashville, and I'm loving that. So when you see your Slim and Huskies, uh, uh, what Clint Demo and uh, EJ are doing, I, right. I love that to see them put Slim and Huskies and put EG Mac there. Um, I, I'm loving when I see Black Rob uh, put his entertainment uh, right. stuff out there. I really, I really appreciate that, brother. Um, uh, Charlotte just uh, put a uh, coffee shop slash event space right. uh, uh, on Jefferson on Jefferson Street, which right. I really love. Just like how EG Mac is on Jefferson Street, we're having more Black folks come back to the community because they know that history right. and want to do it. So I think for me is that if you really want your area to be there, we're going to have to find ways one to 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 buy houses, two if we want to see the businesses that we want. Can we pull our money together to do that? If we can't pull our money together, can we find people that do care about that mm -hmm. and bring them in the community to do those those different things? And I mean black folk when I say that. Um, um, three is to to really support the business that we already have there too. Don't wait till somebody dies right. and then support their business for a week or two. Right. One thing that I'm that I pride myself on is that majority of the time. I'm gonna say about at least 85 to 90 percent of the time, I'm going to eat at a small business. At a small business, right. I'm, I'm not going to have a Starbucks. I'm sorry, I'm right. not uh, going to get a lot of franchise food. I'm going to go, and I know it might be cheaper for some people, but for me, I know the people that I'm buying my my my, my supplies or merchandise from, from right. and I know I want to support them because they can keep on supporting my community, right. and so I got to support them back. I think those are different ways right. uh, that we are able to do that. You had a First part of that. Oh, what am I doing next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what's, um, what's next with Eric Brown? So I'm trying to decipher. Uh, the first thing is that Eric Brown's trying to get rest. Right. Um, yeah. I, I'm trying to rest. I'm not talking about sleep. I'm talking about where my mind has been able to let go of the traumas, the stresses, the insecurities, and just. And I'm finding that right now. Right. And it's been beautiful. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is to let my community love on me. And that's something that's always been hard for me to do. Right. And my community is saying, you ain't got no choice. Right. We're going to love you, Eric. Let me stop you there, too, because I like I like giving people their flowers in front of them, especially black men to black men. So I'm going to give you your flowers right now. Um, working in the mayor's office as a black man is already an accomplishment in itself. And being able to see, you know, being in meetings with you, seeing the boots, the work, uh, boots on the ground work that you've been able to do. Just I, I know we talking about Nash specifically North Nashville, but I'm gonna say Middle Tennessee, right? Because that's what the mayor's office represents. Mm. And so, man, thank you um, for that work. Thank you for that that representation. Um, thank you for that voice. Thank you for you know being an ear uh, for many of us that maybe didn't have an ear in the mayor's office or know what was kind of going on from the Facebook posts, tweets, and all those. I want to give you a flowers now, um, and you brought up something that I think is very crucial that we all need to understand. It's okay if we're not building in the same way for the same mm. purpose. That's mm. okay. Mm. That don't mean what you're doing is wrong or any better than what I'm doing and vice versa. The, the fact that you're trying to do something intentionally good and make our community healthier, that's all that should matter. And when we can come together, we can come together. 
appreciate so, man, that. I appreciate you. I just wanted to, I didn't mean Thank to cut you. you off, but I wanted no. to give you flowers and say that right no, there. No, and man. I got to say it back to you and give you your flowers because what I appreciate about you, Jerome, is that you would reach out yeah. Yeah, <laughs> to yeah, me yeah. because you knew I was in the mayor's office. Right. And you would try to find out things that would also help out the community, too. So for sure, for that's sure. the way that I think that this should work is that we right. were talking to each other to make sure that at the end of the day, the people are taken care of. Right. Um, right. Back to um, what's next? What's next? I, I, I'm trying to decipher. Um, what that work looks like for North Nashville, does that look like maybe an economic development fund, um, which gets into a lot of things, and, and, I, and I really think a fund needs to happen. I'm a, um, people know if my, my main primary thing for black folks in the United States mm. is black, black economic yes, power. Yes. I think that's where everything should start and stop at. Yeah. That's just my preference. Yeah. Because um, I think that, that, that economic base gets you into all yes. these other... Whether it's politics, education, housing, it is literally being able to do for yourself mm. and create the things that possibly that your city government, state or federal government are not yeah. doing that they should be doing. Correct. And, and there's a lot of great resources for that. And so when I say it, now let me make sure to give shout out to 37208 Fund because they're doing their thing right now. And I really right. appreciate I think I'm talking about a different fund uh, yeah, when yeah, I say that as yeah, far as yeah. economics. So I don't want to step on their toes because they're yeah. doing great work. Uh, within that, but I, you know, I, I want to get it to the point of what I'm seeing, like Crenshaw, California. They have a thing called Destination Crenshaw, mm. where they're actually talking about the history, but they're just bringing it back into the 21st century <clears throat> to get things done. Uh, but they're not leaving a history. They know where mm. they came from, and they're just trying to see it in a different way that still keeps it black. And so I'm loving that uh, with Destination Crenshaw. I was reading uh, a group called uh, Center for Community Investment in uh, D.C., um, where they're doing this thing called uh, Capital Consumption. Where it should be, which is what I think should happen, a uh, partnership between private and the public worlds, bringing them together to invest into a community of folks that are already there right. to make them successful. So that's one piece. I'm trying to decide if I still want to stay in politics, man, okay. uh, and what that actually looks like. I don't want to run. So, you know, before that gets asked, I do right. not want to run. <laughs> hey, man, look, we got, we got, <laughs> hey, we got, a, well, you know, we got early burden is already for judicial elections yeah. now, yeah. but next year, 2023, yeah. you know. <laughs> Council, the mayor, it's, yeah. it's a lot it's a lot of it's a lot of seats that's up, man. Yeah, I you don't know? want one of them. <laughs> I will help somebody else get into one right. of those seats. Right. Um but yeah, I'm trying to figure out what that looks like for me in politics. And then the last thing for me is how to I how do I rebrand myself, man? I'm gonna be honest with you, man. Mm. Uh, my, one thing my pastor told me very quickly, uh Reverend Tex Thomas says, You can't serve poor folk being poor yourself. Right. Uh, I you know, some people might have a issue with that, but I understood what he meant, which was how do we find ways to get that black economic power yeah. so that other people, once we get into the door, how do we make sure to keep shifting that back right. uh, yeah. so that I, we can get our folks on too? And so uh, I'm thinking about what that rebranding looks like to where I'm not only seen as the community organizer or the community advocate. I'm looked at as the person that really is talking about economics and is showing it by doing it right. um, and has the resources or put myself in a place to get the resources, but to make sure that everybody eats mentality is happening. Right. Yeah. No, I, mean, I think um, I'm sure, man, that um, there are going to be many opportunities for you yeah. to do whatever you want to do yeah. uh, on your own time yeah. as well and be completely yourself. And so, man, I'm looking forward to it, man. Um, before we get up out of here, though, man, I know you got this book. Yeah. And I, thought I had to, I had to go, I had to make you go back out to the car and <laughs> yes, get it, man. Uh, so let's talk about that a little bit, man. Um, yeah. and, and, and where can people tell us a little bit about the book and kind of where can people um, find the book? Yeah, man. So um, I think one thing about the book is that um, what was interesting to me is that this actually happened once I got out the hospital from the liver shutting down, mm. and I said two things were going to happen. One was that I was going to first work out, uh, and so I got my health back, and so I lost about 75 pounds. The wow. second thing that I was going to do was finish my book. Uh, my book is kind of like my mixtape is how I look at it. It's, right. a, it's a children's book for adults. Okay. And so you'll see, like, uh, pictures and uh, pictures and pages in the oh, book. Yeah, I did I this on it, purpose. Man. I love uh, it. Uh, but I start talking about different issues about black male vulnerability, a black man from being from the South. Right. I talk about faith. I talk about a lot of the issues that are happening in our community. And sometimes I just have very weird thoughts yeah. that I put out. Uh, and so for me, it's yeah. a mixtape of my, my personal life experiences right. uh, in my first book. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that it happened at a time that I should have gave up. Mm -hmm. Or let me say it differently, that many people would have given up, given up 
I kept going, and then not only that, I said, I'm going to make a product out of the paint. And so this is one of the products that came out of that, Man. Weekend Reflections, uh, which started with me just writing Facebook posts about reflections that happen over the weekend, but it's turned into something that's way bigger than that now. What, what can people grab the book? Uh, so there's a few places uh, that you can uh, actually uh, uh, get the book. Uh, one is you can get it from Amazon and all, all those different <laughs> places, or... Um, I actually have a uh, uh, website, Weekend Reflections, uh, that, I, that I can give to you to pass out. Okay. Um, where you can actually just buy the book straight from me. Okay. Uh, I'm still doing it like uh, like the old uh, mixtape CDs in the truck. It's yeah. In the truck. Um, You'll pull up on us. <laughs> put, put it like that. You can also buy that energy okay. uh, on Buchanan Street, uh, Naila Burnett. Uh, her juice and yoga spot. She has the books there. Okay. Um, but yeah, please uh, go get the book. Um, it's one of the first. I think it's not going to be my last book, but it's definitely going to be my first book. Right. Um, that starts the uh, the spark right. to a lot of other things that's going to happen. And so I did some man. Uh, this is the book, man. But I wanted to make sure you had a copy, so I signed I, I, it. Oh and, man, uh, gave you a copy I of the appreciate book as well, that, man. Eric. Man. Yeah. Oh snap! Got a signed book. Hey man. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, people, you know what I'm saying, come through deep dish and, yeah. and, and really, you know what I'm saying, take care of your boy. Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate that, no man. Doubt, no doubt. Um, this is amazing, man. Eric Brown. Man, I appreciate you. Uh Likewise. before before I get you up out of here, man, is there anything um man, we didn't we didn't talk about or you didn't get a chance to really get off your chest um about anything, man, that you would like the people, the listeners and the viewers to to just to just know, man. Yeah, man, I think the biggest thing that's happened for me these past three years since COVID and the tornado has happened is the uh, power of vulnerability. Uh, I don't like that word as a cliche. I mean that very seriously, that I've literally had to strip away of a lot of things about myself that's helped me grow. Mm -hmm. I've had to lose a lot of people. I've had to almost lose my life a few times to let go of things that were very toxic in my life right. uh, to go there. But that only happened because of the support of a community that allowed me to be weak around them. Right. Um, and just show the tears, show the pain. Uh, and they were still there to take care of me, uh, to be around more black uh, men. And I'm going to say specifically black men right. uh, that are now able to talk to each other like real people right. and not the bravado to make us feel like we're strong. Right. Um, uh, that And then also taking that vulnerability wherever I go. Uh, I noticed the more that I am vulnerable and allow myself to be seen, I am seen. Yeah. Um, and, and it helps other people to see themselves. Right. And so uh, I think that's the biggest thing for me is that I'm still growing. I'm still learning about vulnerability and what that means for myself. But I know ultimately uh, I want to keep on growing. I want to keep healing right. uh, because there's going to be generations behind us. You got a, you got a right. young seed yourself. Right. Uh, we don't want them to have those same type of traumas that we have to exactly. where we had to survive. We want them right. to thrive. And so right. the power of vulnerability is a big thing for me right now, and I want to keep going with it. Eric, man, I appreciate your time. Um, how can people reach out to you? Because I'm sure, man, it's going to be people yeah. like, hey, you got you got too much knowledge, too much expertise in this yeah. economic development, community development world, man. So if people wanted to bring you on as an consultant, get your ideas, yeah. strategies, well, how can people reach out to you and just jog your, jog your mind? Yeah, you know, so potentially I mean, for a fee. Hey, we ain't, you know, black <laughs> economic power now, you I know. I believe in value. Yeah. I believe in value. Uh, the first way, I'm off of social media right now, but I am still on LinkedIn. Okay. So you can look for Eric E. Brown Jr. on LinkedIn. Um, when I do get back on Facebook, uh, uh, Instagram, I still have uh, Eric E. Brown Jr., uh, you can reach out to me on Instagram on that. And it's also the same thing on uh, uh, Facebook as well, Eric E. Brown uh, Jr. Uh, my email is Brown at gmail.com. Feel free to always email me. Um, and if that, that don't work, if you got Jerome's uh, cell phone, hit him yeah. up. He'll give you my yeah, information yeah, for too. Sure. So. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Eric, man, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for being vulnerable. Yeah. Thank you for just opening up to us and giving us some gems as well. Yeah. Um, and just thank you for your time and availability, man. I really appreciate you coming man, through. Man, I, I think this, I, I'm, I'm still loving uh, Symphony doing her stuff. Shout out to Symphony. Yeah, shout out I, to I Sis. love, I, I always love this. Yeah. Uh, she's always been great people. So just yeah. to, for what you're doing, because nah, uh, I think you are changing the community with these conversations, thank you. with bringing a different vibe. And so I thank you for that. Man, thank you, man. Next time, we're going we gonna to bring, gonna bring you back, man. Yeah, likewise. Because sure. there's always something to talk about, especially out north. Yeah. All right, always. thanks, man. Thank you.